0: When we look at cleaning, we ask a fundamental question of when did it become so cluttered and why are big brands creating such a mess?
1: I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm joined with Jonathan Bostock, who is the co-founder and CEO of an amazing new brand called Truman's. John, welcome to the
0: show. Dave, it's awesome to be here, and I enjoy doing discussions like this with people like you. You know, I, I've, I've obviously read your book, and I've had a lot of respect for the work that you've done, but if you look at the way that we've built Truman's a lot of it ties to things that you believe in, things that you've seen in your career. And so for me, I get excited about new business models and innovation. I got excited after reading your book. And so I'll admit I'm super excited to talk to you and, and kind of hear your perspective on what we're doing and, and help share the, the Truman story as well.
1: Perfect. Well, it's great to be here. We're just wrapping up here at University of Kentucky. We just did the Predicting the Turn Summit, talking about all this innovation. So it
0: should be a ripe conversation. Yeah. You know, it was, I'll tell you, you and I have spent a lot of time together and I'm lucky for that. Uh, most of it's been one-on-one, but I think having the the opportunity to, to see you speak and then being on that panel moderated by you was was incredible. You know, I, I even being an entrepreneur and having been at businesses like GE and then running Big Ass Fans you, you sometimes forget at the components of disruption. And hearing you break them down, it, it was such a good reminder as to why we're doing what we're doing at Truman's and why we firmly believe that we can go up against big companies like Procter and & Gamble and S.C. Johnson and others. And so, you know, I loved it. I loved everything about today. Loved hearing you talk, loved the panel. The engagement was phenomenal. And I think, you know, universities like This one, University of Kentucky, certainly trying to drive entrepreneurial spirit. And it's amazing that you're willing to come in and share some of your knowledge.
1: Well, thank you. So let's dive into that uh, career you talked about with GE and Truman's and everything else. One of the things I love in your bio is you talk about that you're drawn to professional challenges that others might run away from.
0: So talk about how that manifested with your career at GE and then what you did at Big Ass Fans. Yeah, it's kind of who I am. I started with this desire to be an entrepreneur and failed miserably and found myself back at business school. When I was at business school, I was lucky enough to meet someone at GE. And this individual was super influential, had the ability to not only recruit me, but get me into the company. And I took that leap. I would say that the characteristics of taking on big professional challenges was consistent then. I don't think an entrepreneur really fit in to GE. I don't think someone from Going to business school at LSU would fit in in an executive training program where most of the students and then executives were coming from Harvard, MIT. I was certainly an outlier, but I loved the idea of that challenge. And then if you look at my career, I always raised my hands for the jobs that people didn't want. I remember back when I was uh, an executive with GE Appliances, no one wanted to run brand strategy because it was always considered to be more of a design, non-revenue, non-margin Type of role. I at the time had been running a product line and, and it was it was kind of foreign for someone to leave a, a product line, a P&L, to go and, and lead brand strategy. Working with the the CMO at the time, I decided that it was the right move. And it was certainly a challenge I was willing to take. And we transformed the position into more of a revenue and profit-driven role. And so, you know, I think it is about taking on those, those professional challenges and reinventing them. Certainly big ass fans. Going in and and restructuring the company and preparing it for a sale. You know, you've got a company that was founded by an amazing entrepreneur, 20-year-old company that experienced 30% year-over-year growth. That is certainly a challenge. Coming in, sitting next to a founder who is is very, very smart and is very engaged in, in how to run the business and helping them think through restructuring it, and then ultimately selling it, that's certainly a challenge. And then obviously what we're doing today is a challenge. And so I've always found myself seeking opportunities that are unexpected. I, as I said, certainly would have never written a script that I would have been at GE for 11 years and then big-ass fans, and then building Truman's. But what I've done is observed. What I've looked at is how are other companies successful? How can I apply those apply those characteristics to what I do? and build off of it at every step. And, and that's ultimately why we're here and, and we're building Truman's and why we believe that we're going to completely take, not only take the clutter out of cleaning, but flip the industry on its head. Yeah. And I
1: think that's advice and not enough people here. I mean, I looked into it myself that when I joined p it was 2003, no one that was an MBA and went to a top school wanted to embrace digital because they saw all their classmates get fired. I was the 22 year
0: old from a public school that was like, well, might as well jump into it because no one else is. Well, and I think what's brilliant about your background, and I know that many of your listeners follow you and, and understand the challenges that you face, but what's brilliant about that is you think back to that time at p g you were not only learning what ultimately would become something that disrupted the company, but you were going against the big machine. You were yeah. going against the big brand, which had natural friction to avoid yeah. commerce. And so you saw it from two angles. You saw it from the angle of innovation happening around us an environment that was going through rapid transformation based on the speed of digital and a big company that frankly didn't want to change and a big company that created friction. And so, you know, that's why entrepreneurs like me value people like you, because I think when when we see the experiences that you've gone through and we're able to hear those stories, you know, your book, Predicting the Turn, I think it not only is just a great story of, of why certain businesses have played out, it's a great foundation for different strategies that you can use to, to build. But you know, when you connect it with who you are as a person, which matters most, you see how your professional decisions, how those challenges that you took on helped inform and shape. And I think in the reality, the, the, the end of it all, I think the, the best lesson that you can take away is to make decisions that ultimately help you build and help you develop a a thought leadership position and help others drive change. And so, you know, I I love that parallel with what you've done and what I've done and and just think that your experiences have just been an extraordinary look at a change that, frankly, we're not going to see again. And and the reason why is it's only going to move faster. And I can't wait to see kind of your next perspective and what that next wave looks like.
1: Oh, I thank that. Thank you for that. So, you know, talking about that from a background, you spent time at the big company, too, with GE, as you mentioned. But one of those roles was consumer ventures, you know, a group that yeah, some people might have heard of, but you ran had a lot of things. You had trademark in there. You had strategic partnerships. You had new product development. You know, a big company like that, how do you guys overcome the industrialist dilemma? You know, as you talked about, you've got these companies with this heritage and these factories and all of this like a better term, baggage mm-hmm. that's holding them back. Yeah. How do you think about trying to change that inside? And how's that view changed now that uh, you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, I,
0: I think the the first thing is, is you learn what works and what doesn't work. And I think what worked at GE was we had champions at the most senior level yep. focused on change. And I look at General Electric, my boss, Beth Comstock, someone who not only was an extraordinarily influential thought leader across business, but someone at GE who really worked to drive change. I think the, the biggest challenge we had at GE, the thing that she saw, and, and ultimately what extended to my group, consumer ventures, was that we needed to look outside the company to understand how companies were disrupting. You know, we had consumer properties at the time that were very stale. GE appliances had been a staid businesses, GE lighting consumer side had been a staid business. And so we were looking at engaging startups, not only on the investment side, but the partnership side to help us drive new product innovation. At the same point, you know, we relooked at trademark licensing and thought, how can we contemporize mm-hmm. the brand and elevate the brand experience? But, you know, ultimately, what we wanted to do was understand how is innovation working and how is innovation ultimately happening around us in a way that is not truly supporting our core. So it's a phenomenal business. I'd say it starts at the top. It starts with a leader who believes in it. Obviously, my group was executing to try and, and continue to disrupt We learned a lot from it and we had some failures. We had some successes. But I think what I took out of that, the, the number one thing is that partnerships between startups and big business can work. I think it's up to the startup to really figure out how to make it accretive and make it something that's value add to the big business and vice versa. I think it's up to the big business to not swallow the startup. And I think all of those lessons learned ultimately helped us be successful uh, outside of it at Big Ass, and then obviously doing what we're doing with Truman's. That's perfect.
1: So, you know, speaking of Big Ass, so you moved over there really to help the company to sell, Mm -hmm. Um, going and figuring that out, founder-led company, everything else. You talk about two of the things you really drove in immediately were looking at the metrics of the business and looking at the customer experience. Why were those the two points of leverage that you said, okay, that's what we have to go start with?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question because, most founders are founders right and and now sitting in the founder's seat i I laugh at it but you can see how it evolves typically what you see and what we observed at ge is that founders are growth driven they're not metrics driven and so oftentimes they're not looking at daily numbers they're not looking at the numbers weekly to really understand what's happening in the business they're making big bets and sometimes those big bets are huge misses and they don't realize it and so we put systems in place to have better line of sight to what was going on in the business. Now, ultimately, the customer experience side was a natural fit. Carrie Smith, the founder of Big Ass Fans, built a company that put the customer at the front of everything it did. And so what we said is, look, metrics are great. But if those metrics don't impact the customer in a great way, then it's not meeting with the true thesis of, of the company. And so when, when I talk about metrics that mattered, it's... Things like the ability to manufacture faster, the ability to get the product from factory to home faster, Mm -hmm. from factory to business faster, better, obviously, performance within product categories, which leads to delighting the customer. And so what we said is, look, we're going to build a metric driven system. We're going to improve profitability. And we did over four times. But the bottom line is if I didn't impact the customer in a positive way, then it wasn't worth doing it. And so we looked at both in in a a critical way. We built an entire team around customer experience. And I think that ultimately helped us sell the company. I think the fact that we really uh, understood what the customer wanted, both on the business side and the consumer side. I think the fact that we increased the speed of knowledge from what the customer wanted upstream to our engineering, R&D groups, et cetera. I think all of that is, is extraordinarily important. And I think that It's a challenge that you look back on, and and we wouldn't have been as successful had we not done that. I think I give Kerry a lot of credit as well for being a founder who said this is something that needs to happen. And as painful as it was for him to sit through meetings to see the data that he frankly had not had an interest in seeing before, I think in the end, he had a phenomenal exit. You know, Not many people can walk away and say, I built a company over 20 years that was sold for $500 million. And I think he accomplished something that not only created thousands and thousands of jobs throughout the world. It created a product that people love all over the world. And and he certainly has a number that proves that what he built was special. And so I think that, you know, that that period of restructuring, that period of going through looking at numbers uh, certainly came back in a meaningful way. Yeah.
1: So speaking of building something special, you've you're on to your next journey and you're doing it with Alex, who was, you know, colleague of yours at Big Ass Fans. What inspired you guys to go launch Truman's?
0: Yeah, you know, I think what we saw was a a significant opportunity in a category that everyone interacts with on a daily basis. When we look at cleaning, we ask a fundamental question of when did it become so cluttered and why are big brands creating such a mess? You know, I look at the category, the home cleaning category. And it's something I use every day. I've got two kids, they make significant messes in the home. But what I ask is why is this a category that hasn't seen meaningful innovation around the digital economy? I ask, why is there a proliferation of scents and colors and things that really don't make sense based on my personal needs, but then more broadly, needs of the everyday individual? And why isn't there a brand that people can interact with in a human way and really love? And you look at other categories and you see disruption all around supply chain. You know, you think about companies like Uber and Lyft, they're really democratizing the idea of moving from point A to point B. You look at other categories like Uh, sleep, where Casper has come in and said, we're going to make the buying process easier. We're going to make it easier to not only try a mattress, but experience sleep in an entirely new way. We looked at cleaning and said, you know, this is a category that on one side is void of brands that people can love, is void of a human connection where people have questions, but there are no answers. That's one side. The other side is that as e-commerce continues to grow and you look at the home cleaning category, the e-commerce segment is growing 50% a year, we ask the fundamental question is, why are they shipping products that are 98% water? You know, you think about the category and each year over 5 billion pounds of plastic is wasted because big cleaning companies are shipping products that are 98% water. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the downstream impact, what you have are extraordinarily large manufacturing facilities that are built to facilitate putting all this water into this big product and moving it around. And then you have distribution centers and warehouses and retail shelves, all supporting this model that makes zero sense. Even if you look at diesel trucks, Dave, 31 diesel trucks are used to move the same amount of product as one of concentrates, right? So we're asking a fundamental question, which is a, why is it void of big brands that people can love? B, Why is it set up in a way that is, frankly, more aligned to 1985 than 2020? And so what we know is people want great products. They want to fall in love with brands, communicate with them on a one-to-one basis, products that actually work, but more importantly, are convenient and match our busy lifestyles and not have to worry about things. So we offer four products for your entire home delivered to you with always free shipping in leak proof, child proof containers. They're really small, about the size of a hot, uh, half the size of a hot dog. You know, you get a four pack, it's like a crayon box. You can easily store it. So we're priced competitively, always free shipping. We're taking the clutter out of cleaning, just completely rethinking the category. But it's built off that simple principle, which is we cannot create businesses if we're gonna ship around water, we cannot create businesses if we're gonna waste plastic. We know we're not perfect, we know we're not the ultimate solution that's going to completely make cleaning the most sustainable category in the world, but we think this is a great first step. And we think that reducing plastic by 96%, by reducing the supply chain by 70%, we think it's a great first step, and we think we've got a compelling offering to, to have people consider our product. At Predicting the Turn, we talk a
1: lot about growth challenges facing business leaders today. And as we talk about growth, I want to mention one of our sponsors, Chinatown Bureau. Chinatown Bureau is a consumer experience firm solely focused on driving brand growth. They move brands beyond advertising towards a new brand growth playbook. They do this by building the strategies and technology tools that make each customer relationship as valuable as possible streamlining operations and creating new revenue opportunities. Their clients are Fortune 500s and high-growth startups alike, and their engagements range from strategy development through full implementation of a new consumer experience. If you're experiencing slow brain growth and looking for a better solution beyond just advertising, visit ChinatownBureau.com to schedule a call today. So let's double click on that of the how innovation plays out. So in your category, you know, a decade ago, Method came in with the insight of natural products, harsh chemicals, et cetera. Concentrates have been around for over a decade, too. What do you think stopped some of these companies from connecting the dots of all of these insights and the exact thing you had around reducing clutter and reducing waste? What kept them from doing some of these initiatives?
0: Yeah, I, I think the answer Lies in who the customer is and who the customer is not. Yeah. In the case of big cleaning with big brands, the customer is the retailer. The customer is not the end-use consumer. And the reality is Method launched at a really important time in the category. Method launched at a time where color mattered. So sitting on the retail shelf and having a bright color certainly pulled you in and attracted you to the product. Design of the bottle mattered. So having an elegantly designed bottle that sat on that retail shelf, that was very appealing to the retailer because it drew people into the aisle and obviously got them and inspired them to pay a dollar, $2 more. But the reality is that big products that are 98% water, products that are sold based on their color, products that are sold based on some specialty surface that, frankly, you don't need to buy, that you can clean with another product, that's not ultimately what the consumer wants. What the consumer wants is simplicity, convenience, efficacy, a product that works extraordinarily well. And I think, you know, the biggest challenge is simply that big brands have been beholden to retail and they've been beholden to the structure that always exists. And frankly, when you have assets, I describe those manufacturing facilities and the distribution centers and all the trucks. When you have assets in place, you have to utilize those assets. You have to make those assets as efficient as possible. You have entire manufacturing crews designed around your current process well your job is to optimize that your job is to not shut it down and create a concentrate business because you know that that's the future trend and so unfortunately for the planet unfortunately for consumers these businesses were built off of archaic business models were built off of archaic supply chains were built off of this idea that yeah we can use 31 trucks versus the one why not the consumer will just pay for it We believe in a different model. We believe in transparency and truth. And we believe in in telling people, look, we don't think you should pay for that water. We don't think you should pay for that plastic. We think there is a better way. We want to lead the charge around better decisions, more transparency, a more authentic and human connection with our customers. And frankly, we think cleaning, as I said, is, is extraordinarily cluttered. You only need four products for your entire home. That's it. So why are they selling stainless steel cleaner that is triple the price of a cleaner that would work just as well in that product. It's to make money. It's to inspire people to walk down that aisle, to inspire people to fill the cart with high margin products. And so, you know, we look at it and say, we're building Truman's for the consumer. We're, we're frankly not concerned with the retail aisle. We're not concerned about the 50 feet of different colors and different surfaces. What we're saying is, here's what you need. You can buy it directly from us we're going to help you save 96% of plastic. We're going to give you one of the best formulas in the world at an affordable price with always free shipping. That's our commitment. And we're going to communicate with you in a way that's human. We're going to treat you like a person, like a human. If you want to interact with any of the co-founders, you can do that. We're approachable. And so we think it's the right way to do business. We're hoping to inspire others. And and you know, as I said, we, we support any brand that is beating the drum about concentrates. And, and what we want to see is... Brands shipping ready-to-use product, 98% water wasting the supply chain, we, we want that to stop. Yeah, that being beholden to retail, I think, is such a key point. Because we,
1: for the last 50 years, you weren't encouraged to be vertically integrated. But if you look industry after industry that's under assault right now, automotive, They what do they do with their dealerships? Blockbuster didn't own the content that they had in the store shelf. Netflix sure is. P and G and Kimberly Clark and Unilever, they're B to B to C because they're selling to the WalMarts, the Targets, etc. It's not that any of them didn't see a Dollar Shave Club and want to do something about it. It was how do you go look Walmart or Target in the eye and say, "You're ninety nine percent of my
0: business, but I'm going to go compete against you." So that's it's a tough one. Well, and I think that also it reinforces our authenticity. We're not pretending that we're creating anything new. Yeah. We are exposing the realities of the market. We're exposing the realities of being a big brand, being beholden to big retail, and the reality that the customer, the end consumer is losing. Yeah. They're losing because they're getting a product that's hurting the planet. They're losing because they're paying more for a product when they don't have to. They're not getting the highest quality products that are good for their families, good for their pets. And that's a shame. And so I think they understand it. They certainly get that they're beholden to retail. We're not taking a position that we've invented anything new. We didn't invent e-commerce. We didn't invent concentrates. We didn't invent the idea of being approachable to a brand. Um, What we have done is built a solution that inspires people. It inspires people to think about the category in a different way. We're leading the charge around this idea that if a product is 98% water, There is a better way. There is a better way to actually get it from point A to point B. And so when you can extract cost and when you can become an asset light organization, all of a sudden you give that value to the consumer and they've got an amazing product and it completely changes the perspective of how business can work. And so, you know, what I love about our mission of being a human centered company that obviously is doing good for the planet I love that we're holding true to the realities of the market, and, and we're not pretending to be something we're not. We're not pretending that we've built the best, most optimal solution. We're just being honest about it, and we're delivering a product that we think people will love. So you've talked a lot about uh, wanting to inspire consumers, and you guys are doing amazing stuff
1: with your tone of voice on Twitter and all these other channels. As you and Alex built the business, where did you seek inspiration from? Were there companies, brands, or people that inspired
0: you on this journey? You know, I think for us, we wanted the company to be an extension of who we are. What that meant was there was going to be a touch of sarcasm, uh, approachability, lighthearted nature. You know, I, I'd say we we looked more at characteristics of businesses than brands that inspired us. You know, frankly, the the work that we're doing right now on Twitter and on Facebook uh, that connect with people, even LinkedIn, you know, the, the fact that our content went viral on LinkedIn is extraordinary. And here's what I would say about that we never set out and and wrote a business plan that said we're going to create a human centered authentic company and here's how we're going to do it. We didn't do that. What we said is we're going to be ourselves and we're going to talk about what we're doing in a real way. We're going to share what we're doing with our network because we believe in authentic relationships. You know, we shared things a year ago about the color of the product the bottle design we got feedback from people we looked at it in a way that we were going to be very transparent that's just translated to the brand yeah you know we never set out and said okay to be a transparent brand you have to have this level of communication on twitter and you have to communicate in this way we said look we can touch 150,000 unique people a day on twitter and we can have a real conversation with them that's amazing and let's make, and, and let's learn from it. Let's answer questions. Let's interact with them. Let's do it because there's benefit to them. There's benefit to us. And ultimately we create an amazing experience. So, so it was never intentional. And that's, I think, a big takeaway from all of this is that we didn't have a strategy to go viral and we did. We didn't have a strategy to be on Twitter and outperform the category in Twitter, but we are. And, and so we're kind of taking things as it comes. We're learning from what works and what doesn't work. But we're just being who we are, and we're being ourselves. And you know, even during the discussion today, we, we sent out some tweets. It got some great activity around it, and and it's. But it's just being kind of who we are. It, it wasn't. It wasn't seeking anything other than that. Some lighthearted fun with people who interact with the brand. Yeah, well, it's working. I mean, the engagement is just amazing.
1: You know, to your point of going viral on LinkedIn. You know, I posted up the video, and I think it hit 42,000 views. I've never even gotten a tenth of that on yeah. anything else. So it was amazing to see the I think the business community really responded to Yeah,
0: it, it is amazing and I think, you know, your post did extraordinarily well. We had one that was seen by 600,000 people. It's amazing. You know, I think one thing that's inspiring about it is it created a discussion and you look at proof points along that way. I think proof points around sharing with the LinkedIn community was important. You know, but you look at the first 7 days of the company 120 unique countries were represented on the site. That's all through word of mouth. You know, we only sell in the United States on trumans.com. Yet 120 different countries came in and visited. And so I think that that shows you the power of having discussions. And I think oftentimes in the digital world, we tend to rely on singular platforms and singular ways of telling the story. I can tell you one of my favorite interactions was with a customer on Twitter. And we had an authentic discussion around some copy on our website. And they felt like that copy didn't really align to the values of our company. We changed it based on that feedback. That individual also connected with with me on LinkedIn. And you think about that from an um, authenticity standpoint, it's really extraordinary. You know, oftentimes Twitter is this shadowy, dark place where people just hate on other tweets. But we're using it to gain real fans and gain real connections. But we're also allowing for other platforms to be connected in ways that I don't think many people connect them. And, and again, this isn't some well thought out business plan. This is just us being us. And I think everyone listening in would say, yeah, I use LinkedIn as professional networking. I don't think many people would say I've connected with customers, consumers, and allowed for that exchange on LinkedIn. It's, it's a completely, it had been being a GE, a foreign thing, I would have never thought to connect with a end-use consumer. Statistically, I'm sure I was connected with yeah. consumers of GE products, but not in that way.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's a challenge in the big companies. And you said something on stage of you're able to do things that corporate wouldn't be allowed to. You know, while we're on stage, you responded to probably five or six different tweets, at least. In a corporate environment, you'd have to send that off to legal, get approval, go through everything else. So you get to play from a na- new playbook, which is amazing. What can the
0: traditional companies in the Fortune 500 do to learn from that playbook and be okay with it? Can't yeah, they? yeah, well, I think it's very difficult because I think that within their current operating environment, a CEO certainly is specifically with a public company, a CEO could not just tweet in real time during. I think that would create some some concern. But with that said, I think what companies can do is partner with startups and i think really in my opinion next the next wave of innovation is around this idea of looking at your asset base you know we talked earlier about the really heavy asset structure but looking at that and saying how can we utilize some of these underutilized assets how can we partner with startups that are doing things like this and work with them because it is true and it's a reality that we can operate in ways that big companies can't we can move faster than big companies we can make decisions on the fly to either increase pricing or change copy. You know, as an example, I mentioned that that Twitter exchange where where the individual said, you know, in, in, this could be interpreted in a negative way. This copy we changed it we didn't have a legal review and meetings with brand and all of these different departments so i think how big companies can participate in that is look we're not calling for big companies to completely restructure what we're calling for is companies to make better decisions and actually support the right way of doing things and so they they can partner with us you know we we're happy to to help a big company in any way i think there are other startups that are happy to to work with, with big companies on driving innovation. And we've had a lot of meaningful conversations with big companies already. So I think we can point to examples of big companies wanting to change. I think sometimes they can't get out of their own way, but you know, the the reality is that they need to look at it as an opportunity. They being the big company need to look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to do through partnership, as opposed to them trying to get their CEO to tweet during a conference. I, I, I don't think that that's the right strategy. Yeah. And I love that point on partnerships because it's a,
1: it's something you're seeing. I think a lot of the food companies have started to embrace that mindset, whether it's Chobani with their incubator, general mills with 301 Inc, Kraft Heinz with springboard brands of scaling a food business in particular, there are landmines left and right from food safety and production and everything else, opening up their factories, opening up their expertise that's invaluable to a startup that's got something, they're hitting on Nugget, but they need that next level of help. And that's what the big company, it's probably more valuable than any check they could ever write. It's that access to the expertise and the,
0: the resources. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you know the one of the things I respect so much about not only your thought process, but the book, Predicting the Turn, is that you touched on that. And you've seen that in your career, and you understand that that is the next wave. I mean, for, for me, I'm 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 very bullish on that. That partnerships is the next wave of innovation. I know you have a much broader, you, you know, you're you're much smarter than I am. So you've got these pillars. Not at all. Let's you, be clear. You, no, you've you've got pillars that you know. I, I listen to you talk about Domino and all these other concepts. And I think you know, Dave is is a brilliant guy. I I try to simplify it for myself and and say look let's just focus on partnerships I'm not smart enough to do it all and and I I personally believe that that's the next wave and I think that you 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 know starting with the digital and PNG and kind of fighting that battle and then building and selling Rockfish and that background has given you the opportunity to see it and we're doing it you know we're um. living it we're living strategic partnerships we understand the benefit of it and I think. You do as well, but that's the next wave, man. The, the next wave is going to be this idea that it's big company and small company, the rocket ship on the front end, the big company with the underutilized assets, and, and really incubating amazing concepts and letting those rocket ships be rocket ships, You know, not making them into this big cruise ship that can't turn. And that's unfortunately what happens too often with big business and little business.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, it's been awesome having you on the show. You know, I'm a passionate Truman's fan myself, use it at home. So if somebody wants to find out more, where should they uh, start?
0: Yeah, so trumans.com is the the best place to interact with us. It's a website that we feel is uh, simple to understand, helps tell our story. We love interaction on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter. I actually tweet a lot and people can interact with me as an individual on on Twitter and and. I'm at at J.A. Bostock. But, you know, look, I would love not only for for you to continue to have this dialogue for others around disruption, but I think all of the, the folks that you engage with, the folks that listen in, need to ask fundamentally why certain industries behave the way they do. You know, Truman started with that simple idea. Why are they shipping water? And isn't there a better way of doing it? And I think that that can be extended to other categories. And and kudos to you for sitting in a spot that allows you to share that story broadly. And I think more people need to hear it. More people need to be challenged to ask the fundamental why. And more people need to create value in unexpected ways. So, Dave, it's been awesome and really appreciate being a part of this. Oh, thank you for taking the time.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.